Okay, we're live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On today's show, I have a very special guest. His name is Loomis. His name is spelled L-U-E-M-A-S. He lives in Hawaii. And I was on his show earlier this year, I think it was January, talking about this ongoing series that I've done titled Bioweapon Blues. And it was really just my attempt to categorize and understand what was going on with the uh, kill shot, that bioweapon that was deployed against the people of the world. And we just were talking pre-show for a long time riffing on the kind of yeah. what we know and sharing and just kind of recapping or catching up it's been you know what five months since our last talk yeah but uh i was looking through his podcast and i saw he did something on kind of the background of really an important topic culturally important topic which is james bond and ian fleming and uh probably the most famous spy of all time right james bond movies and things like that and I had done some stuff. I'm familiar with Fleming and his connection to Crowley, but uh, Loomis has more information about that. So, Loomis, welcome back. Welcome to the show. Hey, thanks. It's an honor to be here. Thanks, thanks, William, for having me on. Cool, man. So for people who may not have heard our last show or know of your show, Chant It Down, can you kind of do a background and how, uh, how you became interested in the subject of James Bond and Ian Fleming? Well, my background is... Um... I've been doing Chen It Down for 10 years now. Um, I was before that doing lots of, uh, you know, uh, truth meetings and trying to get the truth out in many ways. Really, I've been talking about this stuff this whole century. Uh, but James Bond in particular, uh, my show, I cover a, a variety of subjects, just uh, all connected to this giant tapestry that's been woven here of trying to get out what how our world really runs and who who's behind it and and one of the the parts of our um of our society is entertainment and i have always watched james bond movies as a kid and um for nostalgia i mean there's an enjoyment factor to these films but when i started i always knew as i got into this information that there's some there's something going on with the occult in these films and and as you watch these films with an awake mind, you you get to see them flex their occult gang signs in the credits. I mean, there are a ton of sun symbolisms, pyramids, and throughout the credit sequences just alone, too many to name, you know. But oftentimes you don't fast forward these credit scenes because uh, what happens is um, so they get some great singer of the time to sing a song and people often watch it. So they get kind of bombarded by occult symbolism right there in the very beginning of these, these movies. Um, so that's when I started going, well, okay, well, what else is behind it? So um, I decided to go back to the very beginning, Ian Fleming, who is the creator of a novelist of James Bond. And um, so we got, uh, you know, a whole background that's tied into the occult. And I think it's pretty important to understand that this isn't just for mere entertainment and there's so much behind this. I mean, we can, we can have fun in life and watch things and be entertained, but I think it's important to understand who's behind it. And again, when you look at this, you see a lot of, of uh, occult uh, symbolisms and parallels to our real world. And we'll get into that today. Right. And I mean, how many movies are there now? There's probably, I'm trying 25. to look on. 25, 25 canon films. And there's a few offshoots that, like, I think there was an original Casino Royale that was an American version. And there's another one that's a comedy with Peter Sellers. And there's right. a, there's a, what's it called? Um, uh, 
can't remember the name of it offhand. It's it's when Sean Connery decided to do a movie without Eon Productions. Oh, that's right. They was they they've had they've had huge behind the scenes battles, right? Yeah, these yeah. guys and the producers are fighting all the time and stuff. Like yeah, that. and, and so I think Connery ended up suing them too. So like they've had uh, not it's pretty rocky road, but yeah, there was one off label film. That's right. Yeah, I can't even remember the title. It's like uh, anyway. I guess it doesn't matter. But there's six actors that have played. Uh, James Bond so far in the official 25 canon films. It's an iconic series, and there's, there's, it's, yeah, you, like you said, it's the most famous spy of all time. We'll kind of go through some of the, uh, the foundation of it here, Ken. Right. It was George Lazenby, right? Was the Lazenby was the one off? Yeah, he was the, one, uh, yeah, the second guy to play. He was Australian, actually. And there's, there's some thoughts I can get into that too, why, why he left the role. But, um, interesting. It is interesting. Yeah. But I mean, so the first book, I mean, it's pretty incredible that the whole series took off for that long because I think the first Casino Royale written after World War II by Fleming was 52. And so then these movies started in 62. So the books kind of went back in the shadows. Everybody knows the, the movies, but they haven't read the books. I would say, I haven't read the books, but I've, I've looked, I've seen, like you said, the occult symbolism, the golden eye. That was his name of, uh, where he wrote the books, Fleming yeah. would, would go to Jamaica and his place was called Golden High, which is kind of uh, telling in itself, right? I think so too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, he had a wide range of books he pulled from. Um, he had an interest, obviously, in the occult. And I think he was more of a part of it than many knew. I mean, um, I think, uh, first of all, taking from John D who was the magician for Queen Elizabeth uh, in uh, the late 1500s, uh, Queen Elizabeth I, that is. And as well as, as a teacher, he was a, an astrologer, an astronomer, and an alchemist. And he was a spy for the crown. So he was like the original, actual James Bond. And he used a scrying mirror, mirror to contact spirits. And, you know, I think a lot of us people have talked about scrying mirrors in our modern world as these phones we have, we have these black screens and we're kind of, it's kind of like a, a weird way of thinking of it too, like contacting spirits through your phone. But um, anyway, he created the 007 theme, uh, John D and the, the O's in the 007 were his eyes on the queen. And then he used the number seven, which represented the lucky number of the alchemist. So, so right off the bat, we have a story uh, involving uh, protecting the queen of England with some occult involvement. And uh, right. as we know, the elites and the occult go hand in hand. So there it starts right there. And I've always said on my show that Satanism, Hollywood and intelligence are all interconnected and they, they kind of flow into each other. Like there's not really a break in between those things. They're, they're all there uh, as kind of one thing that, that inter it's in, they flow into each other. Right. So it goes all the way back. So he's pulling from this history and it is interesting. This is like a picture of John D in front of the queen, which like they found out. So that's queen Elizabeth. There's D yeah. doing some scrying. And then they like looked through the back of it and there was like these skulls and stuff like that. So D was it. That was D's was the 007 was his like uh, signature or something. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, so that's, you know, the code word for the bond agents is 007. Right. So or yep. 006 or 005. Um, yeah. Have you ever seen the picture of queen Elizabeth with all the eyes, like uh, the, her, one of her gowns or something? 
It's pretty I don't interesting. Think so. But it, one of his sayings was all eyes on the queen. So it was, you know, he was the original spy for the queen. So that's where you get the double O's. Like this, there's, I think this is the one. If you look at this picture, this is Queen Elizabeth. But if you look closely, those are all eyes, eyes and ears. Oh. So she's literally, this is a depiction. This is the rainbow portrait of Queen Elizabeth for the first. And it's all eyes and ears on there. So it's like an occult representation from the 17th, early 17th century of her with the snake. You know, he's got the dragon too. So. Oh, yeah. And the torch. I mean, it's so these guys had all this stuff down back in the day, you know. Oh yeah, but, yeah, for sure. It's but the concept. Like yeah, that's kind of like the intelligence school, right? So Fleming is intelligence, totally confirmed. It's uh, spy, spook. So he integrated things that he knew of and learned into his films. He's prohibited from the Official Secrets Act from ever divulging what he was up to. He kind of hints at it, but he was a bigwig when he yeah. came to the United States after World War II. He helped put together the forming documents of the CIA, right? That's right. Like that was yeah. like he, was like he um what did he do? He he was um I think it was William Donovan who was kind of the founding father of the OSS which turned it later into the CIA. Um uh he asked Fleming to write a memo to outline the planned American Secret Service. So much of the wording was used uh when the Office of Strategic Affairs OSS was created and then Fleming influenced been on those subsequent uh intelligence agencies so he you know you wouldn't just get asked to write the outline of the oss if you didn't have deep ties in intelligence which he was he was a um in the british secret service so he was in a wartime intelligence officer in the british navy right so like he was part he worked under a guy let me see if i can get my slides up here godfrey this is him this is like a book about a 30 assault unit, but they said he was a war winner. There's a picture of a younger Fleming yeah. who you just mentioned, William Joseph Donovan, also Wild Bill Donovan. And then you can see him on this. Uh, but yeah, so like the most important arm of the British you know, military is their Navy. That's kind of what they relied on with sea power, right? All right. So, um, and even today, I'd say our Navy, just to go off on a tangent a little bit, is this and Air Force are probably the most secretive branches of our military, too. Interesting. Yeah. So, I mean, the other thing that's interesting about Fleming, some people don't know, is that he was really kind of a very high, he would be their, their aristocracy. He came from an aristocratic kind of bloodline. The Flemings were, I think, Scottish big-time bankers, right? So he had, and actually, one of the interesting things about him is his, his brother before the war was more famous than him. I can't remember what his brother's name was, but his oh. brother was, yeah, he was a world traveler and wrote all these crazy books about going to China and mountain climbing or something. And Ian Fleming felt like he was under his shadow. And now history has, has gone on the decades and nobody even knows about his brother, but Ian Fleming is like a household name, like really one of the, however literary, whatever the literary merit of his books are, he's one of the best known authors in the world, I would say. Yeah, I would say so, in a way, yeah. He's also a journalist before that, a uh, sub-editor and journalist for Reuters. Right. That's right. Yeah. So he, yeah, Peter Fleming was his brother. So he Peter had this Fleming. kind of, yeah. Let me see if I can pull a picture up. So that's his brother right here. And he, oh. his, the dad was Valentine. British adventurer, journalist, soldier, and travel writer. 
who's the elder brother of Ian Fleming. And he had been to Brazil, Asia, and all the way. And uh, But, like, he just, you know, nobody knows his name right now, but 64. He almost, looks like he, he almost looks like he could play James Bond. He looks like a James Bond character, his brother. He, maybe he was based on That's an interesting observation. Um, but, yeah. And and uh, he, they both went to Eton, right? So they went to the best, you know, uh, high school, whatever the equivalent private school in England was. And I think that Ian Fleming was like a two-time athletic winner there at Eton so like yeah he wasn't a slouch and then you know in that regard he wasn't some kind of uh a feat intellectual type and it also so he comes from a wealthy family he's uh, uh likes to go he's uh, associated with so many clubs in England so he has all these you know famous clubs that he knows so he's kind of hobnobbing with the elite I guess is a way to put it but also when studied in Germany so he knew German fluently uh before the war never really he didn't have he wasn't one of those people who had like i had a career at 20 and kept that career you know until i was 40 he would kind of bounced around right you said he was yeah. a journalist and i think he stopped he was a stockbroker for a bit well he had a lot of irons in the fire yeah yeah interesting guy so but when he wrote those like you said he he wrote his novels when he became a novel writer at golden eye which was in jamaica and you know, I mean, I, I kind of references to me just sort of think I think of the Golden Dawn, but, um, you know, I, I don't know if there is a reference, but there's later on in the James Bond movies, there's actually a movie called Golden Eye, too. So it makes me think of the eye in the triangle, like the Golden Eye in the triangle is what it comes to mind. Yeah, that's but, that's um, a good one, too. Yeah, probably is. Probably is. But there are occult references. There's in one of the movies, there's like an intro to the Le Cirque. Like I've done a show on Le Cirque, which was the post-war kind of fascist group that tried to keep Europe together against the communist threat. So like he knew all this stuff. He put all kinds of stuff in there. And Casino Royale was his first book, like I said, 1952. The lead figures based on Aleister Crowley. So yep. that's another kind of occult connection. Like he knew Crowley. He knew Crowley he personally prior to the war, yeah. Yeah, him and so Maxwell Knight was a British spy master, and this was I, apparently his model for the character M, who's the lead of, of MI6 in um, James Bond. Anyway, um, he uh, Maxwell Knight played major roles in surveillance for the early British party, and Maxwell Knight was a bridge to Crowley. So they they were both sent to interrogate the Nazi prisoner of war, Rudolf Hess. Um, and that was um, like Hitler's first, second in command, I believe. So, uh, and a Nazi occultist as, as they were. So when um, Fleming and Knight concocted a plan to involve Aleister Crowley to interrogate Hess for his occult knowledge, I thought that was pretty interesting. Yeah, and there's actually a lot of in the the cover story of the Hess flight to northern Scotland in 41 is that he just randomly did it. He was trying to contact this far-right group called the Link and that he got, got in this plane and flew to kind of create peace with England. But there's backstory. The, the real story is still secretive, but the story is, is that it was random. But it doesn't seem like it. It seems like Fleming was the one who knew the occult information and lured Hess in and then captured him and took him out. But yeah, he was number three in, I think it was Hitler, 
to um, who was the head of the Luftwaffe? I forgot. Goring and then Hess. So he was like the, the biggest guy, one of the biggest guys in that party. He took a bullet for Hitler. Hess did in yeah. one of the early putches. So, um, but yeah, he was a full occultist too. So it's like one occultist. And there's actually a, a note from Crowley that exists today that says, I'm of your service if you need anything. And he wrote oh, it wow. to them. Yeah. So that that is actually a real. No, let me see if I can find it. But uh, let's see. I think it's in my slides. Let's go back here. But yeah. So so this is actually his. This is uh, Fleming's, uh, you know, obelisk styled uh, graveyard gravesite. Let me see if I can find the Crowley the Crowley thing. Crowley actually reached out. Says he reaches out to Fleming, sir. If it is true that Hare Hess is much influenced by astrology and magic, my services might be of use to the department in case he should not be willing to do what you wish. I have the honor to be, sir, your obedient servant, Alistair Crowley. So, yeah, wow. that exists. Yeah. Well, yeah, it doesn't surprise me one bit, but that's, that's cool. I didn't know that. Yeah, so Fleming knew Crowley, but they go back. So you talk about Maxwell Knight. So this is like a group of guys that knew Crowley, Knight, and the uh, – there was an author back then too who influenced Fleming actually, and his he was like one of the biggest uh, writers of that time. His name was Dennis Wheatley. Have you ever heard of Dennis Wheatley? No, I haven't heard of him. Yeah, no. Dennis Wheatley's an interesting guy to look into. I put him into Children of the Beast because of this kind of nexus of people who knew Crowley. But uh, uh, Wheatley wrote a lot of occult books that became films. One was uh, The Devil Rides. I don't know if you've heard that, but heard Wheatley it. was super prolific. Maybe like. Um, the Stephen King of his day, like readable materials, people, mm. you know, not like a couple, like a popular kind of novelist also involved in the war. And then his series, I forgot what the name of his series that influenced Fleming. So it's really wild. And there's like, there's uh, books that Wheatley had um, from Crowley. Crowley gave him magic interior practice to sign copy of it. So they were tinkering around with each other. It's all in this historical record. Really oh, I didn't know that. yeah. That's cool. Yeah. Huh. Yeah. yeah. Here it is. Here's here's the thing. All of his life, Fleming prided himself on knowing the right man to go to in any situation. He usually did too. This is from uh Pearson's biography. But when Hitler's deputy Rudolf Hess made his mysterious parachute descend in Scotland in May 1941, Fleming surpassed himself by appealing to one of the most notorious men in the whole of the British Isles. For many years he had been fascinated by the legend of wickedness, which had attached itself to the name of Alistair Crowley necromancer black magician and great beast 666 this immensely ugly old diabolist and self-advertiser had thrown himself into certain unsavory areas of the occult with a gusto that must have appealed to fleming let's see let me go on crowley might be able to help him track him down to a place near torquay where he was living harmlessly on his own writing patriotic poetry to encourage the war effort he seems to have had no difficulty in persuading the old gentleman to put his gifts at the disposal of the nation for a brief formal note sealed with cabalistic signs arrived through the usual channels for the director of able intelligence. So it's all there. Yeah, it is. Wow. That's wild. Yeah. Well, there's, there's such a, there's such a foundation to all this. It's not just some, some simple entertainment. This is coming from a background. And then you get into also, also um, the uh, broccoli family that you don't see a Bond film without seeing the name Broccoli in the credits. And the, the Broccoli family were the producers of Bond, and they were actually American but worked in British studios. And so Albert Cubby Broccoli was, was um, 
the main guy and, and a little dirt on him. They were kind of like a mafia family. Some say he, he beat to death the producer of the Three Stooges, Ted Healy. Uh, a source alleged that actor Wallace Beery, Rockley, and a film producer, Pat DeChico, beat Healy so bad that he fell into a coma and died. So, you know, these aren't, um, I don't, I don't, I don't believe they were innocent, innocent people. And yeah, there he is in the picture on, I think, I believe on the left, huh? Yeah, I think that's him. Broccoli. And what was the other guy? It was Broccoli. And what was the other producer's name? Uh, Salzman. Salzman, right. Salzman. We partnered with producer Harry Salzman and then they formed Eon Productions, which um, Eon makes me think on the Ion of Horus, um, just without the letter A, but I guess the British actually spell Eon with an A. What I what I'm gathering, so which is an age, which is a long period. So Eon Productions. Wow. Yeah, the Ted Healy incident. So his cousin Pat DeSico was definitely a mobster. So he was mobbed up. There's no question. He's from the Queens, New York City. So I always thought that Broccoli was from the UK. I had no idea. I didn't yeah. know that. He, yeah. Yeah, he was from okay. America, but then they ended up doing stuff in British studios, him and Salzman. I think Salzman later did not – I think he – I don't know. Did he not – I, I had some notes about him, but uh, I, don't, I don't think he stayed much with the project. After they, they fought or bought each other out or something Something had happened. Yeah. They had a very cantankerous um, relationship is my understanding. So, yeah. But, yeah. I had no idea. So these guys are totally mobbed up in the back. Wow. Yeah. So which is interesting because I have a picture of this is Fleming right here, but I have a picture of Fleming with he went and met uh, I thought I had it in this thing. I guess I don't have it in the series. But he met Lucky Luciano in 1946. Where is that picture? That's him with Alan Dulles too. So they had a relationship. Yeah, he had friendships with a lot of pretty heavy do heavy Dark characters like Crowley, Dolus, and Luciano. So it's, Donovan. it's uh, yeah, Donovan, right? Let me see if I can find that lucky Luciano picture. I don't know why I don't have that. Yeah, he was definitely, definitely uh, accompanied by some some suspicious characters. He wasn't just some lone writer that had these great ideas about making a spy movie. That's for sure. He had. Uh, there's a whole a whole background to this, and and I, I think it continues on through the films. If we watch, you know, even today, you still you see a lot of things. Right, interesting. So there's a picture. I think this is in Italy post-war, Luciano and Fleming. Uh, and yeah. uh, you look at how Luciano looks like a nice businessman. It doesn't show his sketchy uh, background, but he was helpful in the war. They and the British government and the U.S. government enlisted him to kind of run the docks and intimidate people and run operations. So uh, it's not surprising that they'd have some kind of relationship. It's, it's interesting. Yeah, it isn't at all. No, I, I believe Broccoli was probably in on with Mafia somewhere. I don't know. Right. I couldn't find yeah. any connections, but I, I wouldn't be surprised one bit. And these films made real money too, right? So like they were some of the most popular films of, um, of all time. So. Oh, Both yeah. of these producers walked out with, you know, cash. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, yeah, you got the, um, in the series, you got the iconic people. You got M, the leader of intelligence. You got Q, the quartermaster or guy with the gadgets. And then you got Money Penny, which is something I was going to look up, and I kind of 
kind of uh, never did in my own notes, but it's kind of an interesting name, Money Penny the Secretary. Yeah, and you got the usual nice car somewhere, the, the Bond girl, and sometimes a little help from, he has a friend in the CIA, Felix Leiter. And I think one thing I, I like to bring up about um, just movies in general is that um, they often give you the hero as the, you know, the, 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 the authority so they always you know like here comes the u.s military to the rescue or whatever you know there's always something so we're always trying to look at these which are really dark things in our society as our heroes interesting but they um the the cia is looked at very positively in these films right yeah they're kind of like helping out felix pops up at the right spot to get him a connection or something like that. So it's right. It's presenting the kind of connection between the UK and the U S but in a positive cooperative way. Yeah. So I should I mention too, true. I'd forgotten to mention about um, Chitty Chitty Bang Bang, which is another movie that Ian Fleming wrote the novel to, which uh, I, it's, I haven't seen it in a long time, but I've heard there's a lot of like um, ritual abuse in there. It seems like it's, um, like it's on the surface, it's about a magical car, but it's got some strange traces to like ritual abuse. If you have really the eyes, interesting. yeah, yeah. No, I never, heard. I wouldn't be surprised. But this guy, uh, Roald Dahl, who wrote Willy Wonka, put some heavy duty kind of pedophilia in his stuff. Like, there's no absolutely no question about it. So, it wouldn't be surprising if they put this. Wow. So, this was produced by Albert R. Broccoli. This oh, yeah. Written by Roald Dahl, yeah. It's loosely based on the children's novel, 64, by Ian Fleming. So Roald Dahl and Fleming both worked on this together. Wow. Yeah. I'll have to re-see it. I mean, I think I saw it as a kid, so I'd have to, like, that's a whole different mindset to look at a movie. Yeah, no doubt. No, I watched this as a kid, too. You're always with that weird, like, child catcher, too. There's the element of the uh, kind of scary guy, right? Isn't there, like, a scary witch who abducts the kids? Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. That'll have to be. A, I'll have to give that a rewatch someday when I. <clears throat> yeah, and it ties in. Interesting. Like they had, I think they had. The, um, I have to go back and look, but they have kind of like the. Yeah, there's the child catcher in the weird kind of gypsy, thing that he carries around. But yeah, this is it. Yeah, the child catcher. Wow. Yeah, that's weird. James Bond for kids is what it says. Yeah. No, the culture creation is really something else. This guy, and like it kind of ties in today. This I was looking over the Moonraker film. That's the one where they all go to space and kill off everybody on Earth. Like yeah, a super rich guy jokes. comes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, we'll get it. I'll, I'll um, yeah. We're not there I'll, yet. Sorry, I'm jumping the gun. No, no, it's okay. I had some notes about it somewhere, but that's definitely a eugenics plot. There's a few. There's a few of those movies where there's an absolute eugenics plot to take over and kill off humanity and and the villain reigns supreme with his ideals. You see that a lot. Yep. Yeah, so, so that concept is there. I think it's always kind of been like the villain concept, uh, depopulation concepts have been around. It's not just within the last 10 years or whatever. It no. goes back, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, so the beginning of the Bond movies, we have the Connery tenure. And so he made five movies. And, um, oh, actually, he made six. Yeah, he made six movies. Um, 
But during the theme of, of his movies, there's this continuation of the secret organization known as Spectre, which uses the octopus as their logo. And what a perfect symbol for the system and the elite. I mean, you think about like the octopus of control, like, you know, controlling every strand. And the thing, I think the thing that I like to define from the start is Vaughn would, would be an agent of Spectre in real life. He, he, he would, would not be a good guy. He'd be serving the queen that serves the cabal. So it really, he would be a part of this, this organization. I would think. And um, Spectre means something unpleasant that might happen in the future. But in the, in the show, it stands for Special Executive for Counterintelligence, Terrorism, Revenge and Extortion. And it, it's a really <clears throat> it's a really a representative of, of the dark elites that rule our lives. They they meet in secret in roundtable meetings. They plot terrorism. They plot to rule things. They they put in a leader they want of a country and they control so, both sides of global politics, uh, conflicts, you know. And so um, I, I see a, a direct parallel, like a simplistic parallel to how our world really works with, with Spectre. I agree. And one of the interesting things about Bond, like you say that he'd be the bad guy, the way these Bond, probably there's a propaganda element, the way it works is that he's the good guy working for the, you know, the Empire, His Majesty's Secret Service, right? Right. So, and you want to talk about like an empire when the when the British Empire ruled the world, they did it with an iron fist. I mean, people look over; they don't go into the concentration camps, the famines, the enforced famines, the racism, the feudalism that they imposed on all kinds of people. That uh, oh, yeah. so yeah, so they that's another point of Bond. I think that's really important aspect of Bond is they, he's the good guy. They're making him the good guy, but you're right. Today he'd be like uh, you know, servant of Smursh. Yeah, yeah he'd be helping serve. make a false flag attack or something. You know, that's what Bond would be doing in real life. Yeah, no, it's it's true. It's true. Like he has license to kill, right? So, um, yeah. yeah, I mean, just the just everything that's in this, and he was actually, I would say that he could have been part of the. 60s sexual revolution too because he was like a womanizer right like right. they idealized the womanizing so he's part of the hugh hefner kinsey generation as well would you agree with that yeah I, I didn't even think about that but that's that's an important point yeah absolutely kind of brought in the playboy kind of guy that come in yeah so he's not just like a killer operator but he's also like oh like a woman slayer, you know, like they, everyone, he has no problem with ladies. So that's why men probably identify with him as well. Like, yeah, oh yeah it's got to um, be ladies. A man, a man would want to be James Bond and get all the ladies. Yeah. 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 Of course they can't do that anymore. Now they've, they've gone pretty woke. Well, we'll get into that, but yeah. Um, so this villain, there's a villain behind Spectre and his name is Ernst Stavro Blowfield. And he is, bald and betrayal many times and also i think he is also representing alistair crowley in another way too but we don't see his face his he's hidden for four films and he's known as number one he's always known for petting his white cat which is the iconic villain you'll find that they copy in like austin powers inspector gadget and and i i think what i think about is um could there really be a number one i mean it's kind of just something to think about could there be an actual head of the committee of 300 or any of these 
huge conglomerates or i mean who knows but is there actually somebody that is it as a almost head of all this that we just don't see in public domain i don't know but it, it does come to mind and then the name ernst stavro blofeld i'd say is a german name so uh could be a tie of nazism i you know i don't know but it's interesting and so he um he's the head of this organization and uh they it's representing definitely the elites meeting at all these round tables. And, and, and it, I think what it does too is um, it, I think people get exposed to things like James Bond and back in the day, and they hear about the world being run by a force and they think the, Oh, it's like Spectre. That's, you know, that I saw that in a movie, you know, and it, so it doesn't, it almost like desensitizes people to actual real, real thing that's going on you know outlandish plots they would say you know but these are actually real things such as trying to control the weather or doing real things that in life that are big plots so it kind of makes people desensitize that there could be this this car they have this cartoon version of, of elites in a room smoking cigars and you know plotting around like you know that kind of thing so in real life that is actually what's happening, but not. <laughs> yeah, it's so true. It's small groups, Bilderbergers, trilaterals. These right. are small uh, groups making policy changes for everybody. All kinds of cultural policies, WEF. You know, they, they just have a bunch of flunkies, flunkies and functionaries. But the WEF probably has, you know, fifty guys behind it who are telling uh, Schwab what to say. Who looks like a Bond villain, actually. Maybe that's their intent. Of I, I know. I almost feel like they did that on purpose. It's yeah, almost like too. too much. And, and he even wears like a black suit like he's the emperor in Star Wars or something. It's almost yeah. like rubbing it right in our face. It almost is. It's almost like they have to do that. Like They don't want people to know how few people pull the strings in the United States. Like There was this whole thing that came out. It was the uh, uh, I guess now it's what was it before? It was Veritas. The guy who runs Veritas talking about BlackRock and how cheap it was to buy a politician, you know? So all these rich people probably have all these politicians in their pocket, whether they're a mobster or something, I don't know. Oh, I, but, yeah. Uh, or they have some kind of blackmail on them or something. Yeah, absolutely. for sure. I think blackmail is everywhere. I think they yeah. blackmail. They try to blackmail anybody whenever they can. Uh, That's one I'm, of the mechanics of power in the world now. I mean, maybe it always was, but it's like overt now. Oh yeah, they got some dirt on someone, a video of them with some underage child, you know, who knows, but probably that's really how they, they do it, their biddings. That Epstein thing just came out, the Epstein trying to put his thumb on Bill Gates and his, uh, when he was cheating on his wife at the time, allegedly, with some kind of Russian bridge player, you know, there was like something where Epstein was threatening him, like, hey, I know this about you, so that's kind of an element, I mean, that's just something that came to the surface. Uh, Epstein was black. There was like industrial levels of blackmail that nobody ever wants to talk about because they're just like sweat. I'm sure those people are sweating like crazy. And they just had a payout on the Epstein thing from, um, was it JP Morgan paid out just a huge sum of money, which to me tells me all about their guilt. If they only like they paid out $170 million or something huge like that for the Epstein fiasco, if they didn't have that much guilt, they would have just like settled out of court, you know, whatever. And not disclose the amount, but it was just an ungodly amount of money, which tells you there's a lot of wrongdoing going on. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's so in your face now. So it's almost it's almost like 
specters in our face now. <laughs> True. Totally agree. This is the guy, the guy who was the head was Jess Daly. And he was like, you know, they had all his emails between him and Epstein. And I literally saw him, Jeff Steely, walking into court with like doing the occult sign of silence. It was right in your face. Like he was putting it out there to say, you know, I'm going to keep my mouth shut. You guys keep your mouth shut. And that's that imagery is all through like the Bohemian Grove, Crowley, all that stuff. The doctrine of silence. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's an elite doctrine. But um, yeah, there's so much. I, I, I think it would really be worthwhile to sit down like at my age now that I'm older and kind of have a better historical grasp on things uh, to read through. I mean, Fleming died at 56. He died very young comparatively, but it'd be worth it to read through all of his books to see the, the references because he's referencing a lot of stuff. He was very astute in his kind of locations and connections and cutouts and things he was using. Like I heard he had a cutout of like one of his characters was based on, uh, Otto Scorseni. Have you heard that? No. Yeah. So one of his like uh, villains was an Otto Scorseni type character who he knew about. Um, so yeah, like these these are these aren't taken from just uh, you know random things. They're based upon people, just like Crowley. Oh yeah, and uh, I would imagine that the movies are more watered down than his 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 novels. You know, I would. Too, I, 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 I read one of his novels as a kid, but <clears throat> it was from Russia with Love, and I'd have to re- rewatch it. I'm going to have to reread it because, of course, I didn't know any of this when I was a kid. But you can just see him there. It says, for your eyes only. Is that an eye on his? Yes. Yep. That's like the original yeah. cover. Yeah. Yeah. So there's the eye again, going back to Queen Elizabeth and D, right? So the themes are going through. Yeah. Unbelievable. Well, so they had six Connery movies. He, um, kind of slowly gets, gets to know this group, this Spectre group. And then um, he realizes that the bad guys he's chasing, the villains he's chasing are actually connected to this. And then realizing that um, they're both behind the Russians and, and the Americans and the British. And, and, uh, and basically we find out that everybody's being duped by this same organization. And then they kind of build it up by the fifth movie in the franchise, You Only Live Twice. They have this ultimate scheme of um, stealing everyone's space shuttles. So uh, as over the top as it is, it, it, it's this kind of theme, again, that desensitizes people that, that a group above government could have schemes this large and, you know, play both sides. And, you know, they have a volcano, volcano lair for Spectre. And it seems ludicrous, but in actuality, the, the elites have hollowed out mountains and bases as well and an underground bases space bases probably too who knows but you know i mean we have all this it really is happening and so but that's the big fifth movie where you have uh the reveal of blowfield who is this bald scarred up guy which i think is can pretty much supposed to be probably right no they definitely they caught uh zuckerberg on his island on Kauai building an underground bunker they could shoot they could watch them build it from space so these guys are all doing this kind of crazy armageddon you know bunker type stuff uh that we know of and even the epstein island in a way is totally bondish right so there's an island where nobody can see you that has an underground sub in a helicopter piloted by a true daughter of a spy right you know maxwell like it's totally bonded bond ish it's literally not that far from jamaica but, oh right, uh, yeah, it's in the yeah. Caribbean, isn't it? It's um, yeah. 
yeah, it's in not, the vicinity, you know. It's so. uh, by the is it by the British, the British um, Virgin Islands, or I don't know, I can't remember. I think so. Oh, it was yeah, I think it was yeah. Like there's a little grouping of islands. I can't remember where it was off of. I feel like it was off of. Uh, oh, it was off of, not Haiti. What's the one next to Haiti? Dominican Republic. I feel like it was in the. Okay. Just south southeast of the Dominican Republic. I'd have to look it up. Yeah. yeah. But uh, yeah, so Bond, he's he might be exposing not just like uh, theater or something, but actually kind of telling you this is how it really works. Like this is how it really works. This right. is a theater. This is like there's a secretive group of people making decisions and you know putting it out into uh, reality. Like that are sinister ideas that are. I mean, you can look at the creature from Jekyll Island when they created the Federal Reserve, which is totally mm -hmm. unconstitutional. But it's guys out on an island, all rich, going, "Hey, let's corner the banking market and, and get one of these stooges to stooge presidents to do it for us." And that's what they did. Yeah, so that is true. You, it is just like that. It's like a bunch of guys meeting together, trilateral, Bilderberg, CFR, all these things, and it's it's exactly that. It's just in a simplistic form in these movies. So, you know, it's not as hard. So to put dis on. you're right, though. I think it is a discrediting thing. Like, hey, this is just in the movies. Maybe, I don't know, you know, but like, yeah, it's weird how they did it, how he did it. Like, yeah. oh, yeah, this isn't really true. It's only in James. You're talking about James Bond. But unfortunately, yeah. these guys do scheme. They're like constant schemers. Um, yeah, you saw that in a movie. Yeah. So we get to um, uh, the sixth movie in the franchise, I believe. And so Connery bows out. He's like, he's had enough. Or, you know, I, I think you can kind of tell he's bored of the role. Um, and you get a one-off one guy, George Lazenby. And uh, that's called On Her Majesty's Secret Service. And... Um, he was only one, one, once Bond one time, and he was—he was actually not even an actor. He was a—he was a model, and they just—they just needed someone that looked like Connery basically to fill the role. But I found this one very interesting because uh, he meets <clears throat> Blofeld, the head of Spectre, <clears throat> at a ski resort mountaintop, and he has all these women, this large group of women who are on a on a retreat. They think they're there to like um, uh, get like counseling or something, but at night in their sleep. They get programmed by these tapes into their subconscious to carry out a, a terrorist attack. So um, it's it's interesting how they did that um, because it's like they go to sleep and this voice comes on. It's real soft and it tells them nice things and they fall asleep. And then now they're told, you know, that they need to do this one thing as a terrorist attack. But I, I find that a parallel into what they may do with some... Uh, satanic ritual abuse or something of that nature to get people to do certain things as patsies even, you know? So I kind of marked that as a note because I, I found that strong, that kind of was strong in that movie, regardless of the actor who wasn't the greatest at all, but uh, it was an interesting film for just that reason alone. That is interesting. So they've got the kind of mind control theme right yeah. there in the sixties too, which Pervades the entire 60s. There's a lot of uh, really incredible events then. Yeah. Yeah, so that's just another kind of fiction uh, aping or copying reality. Right. And then his wife. Well, James Bond takes a wife in this movie, and uh, her maiden name is Draco. 
and that kind of points to the Draco constellation. I, I thought that was kind of interesting too, because that comes up a couple of times in Bond uh, as we go down the, the movies a little bit. Draco or Draco. So it's uh, interesting. So that's it. That's in like Harry Potter too, Draco Malfoy or whatever. Oh, yeah. 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 And so, so then we pretty- get... Oh, yeah. oh, go ahead. Go, Sorry. Go ahead. No, you no. Go ahead. Uh, then, then we got Sean Sean Connery back. So I guess he just took a big paycheck for the the last and one of the worst Bond movies. If you watch, it's called Diamonds Are Forever, and uh, basically the paycheck went to him, and the budget was really bad in this movie. But one thing in it that um, kind of just like I was like, whoa, uh, you know, when I watched it, is um, he has a chase scene through a facility of some sort. And he bursts into a film set where they're filming a moon landing. And, well, it's kind of funny because they're filming a moon landing. And I I found it as a nod. And this is like 1970 or 71. I found it as a nod to the fact that they showed us a movie set when showing us the moon landing, possibly uh, involving, um, you know, Kubrick. So. Uh, it's it's interesting. I just thought I I put that in there. I was like, wow, this is interesting because that are is. they are they saying something to us here? You know, like why why would they do that? Because they knew back then. Probably the filmmakers knew. Let me see if I can find that scene. It's not. It's from Diamonds Are Forever, right? Right. Yeah, Diamonds Are Forever. Mm-hmm. I just couldn't. I was like, you know what? What would they really put that in there for? It's just, just so random. You just bust into a scene, and that you know, you see them jumping around like there's no gravity, and it's just perfect. Uh, yeah, I'm sure I've seen this before. I just never made that connection to now. Let's see if I can. Here it is. Let's see if we can. Let's see. There's no sound, but let's see. Oh, there it is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. There we go. Yeah, there. So it's like a spy operation looking in on a spy operation, right? Right. There he's running. Wow. And then he escapes in a moon mobile. It's got to be one of the worst Bond movies, actually. It's really terrible. It looks hokey. Yeah. It's like during a time when I was thinking that everybody had been taking too much acid in the 60s, and they it's coming out in the movies. They're just, like, fried. Fried, yeah. Interesting. Well, you know, you got to keep, keep the content uh, going. I mean, I was looking just while you are talking on some of the returns are, like, extraordinary for the time, like half a billion dollars. For oh, some wow. of these movies, yeah, uh, adjusted, adjusted income, but for that time they were just cash cows. Oh, like they yeah. pay ten million dollars and get a hundred million back. Yeah, at that time, yeah, in the sixties. Yeah, they're they're really it's the biggest, most iconic ongoing movie se- series ever. I, I would assume, you know, right now, yeah, yeah. twenty five twenty five movies is really something else, and people are still eating it up. So yeah, still like it. And so there's a reference too. This is another thing in that movie. There's a reference. I don't think he's an actual character as an actor, but his name is Bill Templar. And of course, um, the word Bill being also Ball, right? So Ball Templar, maybe, you know, I, I just, that stuck with me. I was like, oh, Bill Templar, who's that? 
So they just referenced the guy in the movie, but I thought that was kind of interesting too. Same movie, Diamonds Are Forever. Wow. It's not accidental. No, not at all. But this is where the series kind of goes to shit for me. I mean, it's just not as... um, Like, so you get a lot of... A slew of movies that are not too good, and then they get um, Roger Moore in there as the next. And these are like the most campiest of James Bond films, probably. I mean... I, when I was a kid, that's the that was the Bond that I actually watched was Roger Moore. But so I, I guess I sort of had a nostalgia back in the day when I was a kid. But but when you know you watch these movies now, some of them are pretty pretty hokey. But um, the first one that he made was uh, was it View to a Kill? I think no. Live sorry. and Let Die. Roger Live and Let Moore. Die. Yeah, that's it. And that one has a bunch of uh, taro voodoo. And uh, all kinds of symbolism. And as we get into this, like, um, Caribbean um, sort of uh, and New Orleans, like, voodoo cult that he, he are, the, are the, the villains in this film. And it's really a black exploitation film, which was kind of popular in the day. And you'll notice that these Bond movies take on whatever's popular in the day. And they just sort of, like, have Bond go. And it's, it's interesting. But I found one of the things I noticed was the Ouroboros symbol of the the snake eating its tail was the symbol of the fish and bait company in that movie. I thought that was kind of interesting. Uh, but yeah, you get exposed to a lot of like occult stuff in that movie. If you look carefully um, and it's, that is Roger Moore's first movie in the, in the series as he's not quite as campy yet. He's still trying to figure out who he is and they're trying to figure out like how he should play bond, but he's still the womanizer. Oh, and a point I did want to make um, is that, Roger Moore and Sean Connery both were sirs. They were knighted by the queen. So you people that do that generally, that I I think there's more to that than what we're told. You know, um, a lot of these dark people were sirs. But um, I'm wondering if the actor in between them, George Lazenby, he says he left because he he wanted to be a hippie. But I kind of feel like maybe he didn't realize what he was getting into and he kind of left for that reason and just never said because uh he turned down a lot of money just to play 007 and just kind of these left. guys yeah these guys are set right daniel yeah. craig and pierce brosnan and more they're all set for life just by one or two movies so he something strange about that whole thing happened like did he throw it out the window yeah it's yeah. weird it's weird he wasn't the greatest actor, George Lassenby, but it, he could have been down the line. And I think he just being an outs he seemed to be an outsider. He's Aussie Australian. So I'm thinking maybe he came into it and he's like, Oh, not for me because he probably didn't want to be part of whatever goes beyond on behind the scenes. Who knows? But once you become a sir, that's, um, that's interesting. I, there's a lot of, darkness that comes into that when you look at some of the sirs in the british society or the or the madams that means that you're tied to the royalty and the royalty can probably help you out you know yeah so you don't really know what's going on behind but if you tow the party line there with the royalty your life's a lot easier because you're basically fused to them to a certain extent you're part of the yeah part of the social structure yep exactly so then we get into um, there's a some of these movies are just not a, worth mentioning much, but um, 
there's a man with a golden gun and i i found it weird that the villain has three nipples i, I don't know if they're just trying to be weird with that or cheeky or is there a symbolism behind there i really don't know but it's played by uh christopher lee who was a known occultist in real life uh, christopher lee later on played in some of the in star wars sequels and in the lord of the rings movies so um he was yeah, also I, in those i mentioned dennis wheatley earlier he was also in those films too, the uh, Devil Rides Out, those things. Oh, those characters based on Crowley too. Ah, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. Three nipples is strange, but like you said, so you got into uh, Moonraker, and you were talking about the uh, villain who has a well. Was both basically the same movie? The Spy Who Loved Me and Moonraker are basically the same movie. They have a eugenicist who wants to take over the world. But Spy Who Loved Me is about a eugenicist who basically wants to destroy the earth and live undersea and then come back when everybody's dead. And then Moonraker is the, the plot of basically uh, genociding the planet from space using poisonous gases that kills everybody. And they have all these new people to repopulate the earth. And, uh, you know, that, that even... That even goes into like old tales, kind of like Noah's Ark, almost. You know, if you think of it right. like that. But yeah, it's interesting. And the the villain in the in Moonraker, his last name is Drax, and very similar to Drago or Draco constellation again. So I, I kind of uh, noted that too. Interesting. Yeah, but the more films were mostly entertainment like they drifted away from occultism a bit and i did forget to mention too that the uh there's a screenwriter that took the rights of specter and blowfield his name was kevin mcclory and actually he was in the british secret service too uh and he ended up um uh keeping the rights so they couldn't use specter anymore in the, in the movies so that's why we lose that in the um seven uh Roger Moore movies. We don't even hear of Spectre. Right. But, that yeah. was one of the arguments they had behind the scenes. Like you could do a whole Bond book about all their squabbling and fights and lawsuits yeah. and stuff. Yes, you like could. some of those lawsuits went on for decades. I can't remember. I saw some documentary, but they were they would like they brought some guy on to write. That may be the McClory guy. They brought him on to write a screenplay, and it just blew up in their face. Like he started saying, "Hey, that's mine." Then they made the movie. He said, "That's my information." It was just a total disaster. Yeah. Yep, that's the guy. Yep, that's that happened. Know, so yeah. we don't see Spectre till like modern day, all the way. Like it was like forty years of no Spectre, but they had right. you know other things in there too. Yeah. So then we get into the Timothy Dalton movies. He only had two, and um, a lot of people say. So this is why I kind of also want to read the novels, like you were talking about, is that he's the closest to. Um, the bond in the books he's a cold-blooded killer uh and he's a lot more serious than any of the other actors um in fact he really lacked humor he was almost too dry but he, he kind of it was kind of refreshing i remember when i was watching as a kid after all those campy more movies you had this guy that was um you know a little more serious and taking it a different different way but he made the living daylights and the living daylights it's kind of an interesting timepiece because it shows how uh, the West is siding with the Afghanis during that time, during the Russian Afghanistan war. 
So, and then it's funny to see that <laughs> happen when 9-11 happens where, you know, all the, all the bad guys are now the, the Muslim terrorists, right? So I kind of found that interesting in that movie because we're siding, the, the West is siding with the Afghanis. And, right, right. You know. And that's more propaganda, right? Yeah. Isn't that really what happened? Yeah, it's war propaganda. Absolutely. Yeah, so that's important. These are these important components of towing the line. It's it's really impressive how kind of the political system can influence culture through film and influence people. So these guys probably were told, you know, we want to get this theme done, where the Afghanis are the good guys and we're we're supporting them, and that's probably right. Happened. That was like right about the end of the Cold War. It's like late eighties around there when this guy was the actor. Right, Timothy Dalton. The two ones. Let me see. I think I have it right here. I have a list. That I'm looking at. Dalton was 87 and 89. Yeah. yeah. Pretty short tenor for him too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, he has another one called License to Kill. And what I got out of that one, this it touches on the so this is in America, it touches on the smuggling of cocaine into the US through Florida, which was actually happening at that time, as as well as the, the crack epidemic that was flooding the US inner cities. I mean, that wasn't touched in on the movie, but that's what was really happening at the time by the CIA. And funny enough, how Bond's friend Felix Leiter in the CIA is is why he's uh, pursuing the villain because his his uh, friend Felix Leiter's wife is killed and he's put into a coma. So he's you know trying to beat the the drug smuggling bad guys, but in real life, again, it would be the CIA that would be bringing in the drugs. So it's funny how that they, they do that little twist in there. I thought it was interesting. I mean, it's, it's 25 films, a repository of, you know, taking from reality and putting it into film things that people watch, watch or whatever. So it's mm -hmm. an interesting dynamic how that works. Either yeah. predictive or showing it. I think it's just the, how cinema has that dynamic with reality. It's some kind of double helix. It's either influencing it or taking from it or both. I don't know. Well, the Satanists often like to invert things and make them backwards. So it, it it's kind of like showing that in a way too, huh? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Well, then we get into the Brosnan era and that's, um, there was four films he did and I never, it was, I never really got into these films at all. Like as even like, when I didn't know much about Jane, I didn't like him and his films were pretty crap as far as I thought, but uh, golden eye was actually the first film uh, in the series. So there we go back to the, to the name of the place where Fleming wrote these novels. And um, one film that stands out here is tomorrow never dies. And it's, a, it's, it's really, well, I'll give you the synopsis It's about a media mogul. His name's Elliot Carver, wants his news empire to reach <clears throat> every country on the globe. But the Chinese government will not allow him to broadcast there. Carver doesn't take no for an answer and plans to use his media empire to fuel flames of war between the Western world and China. Thankfully, James Bond is on the insane news tycoon and travels to China to stop him to help with a secret Chinese agent. But basically what the movie is about is that <clears throat> the media is controlling and fueling the flames between, you know, um, two conflicts there. And again, I just feel like it's, it's um, more 
more uh, exposing of what's actually happening. Happening. It's almost like they're just telling us, basically, we control the media and we can do this, but you're not listening. Right. This is happening in Ukraine, right? The media is yeah. driving the Ukraine narrative right now. A total crazy, unnecessary conflict. But if you can get the support of the people, half the, you only have to get about 40% of the people, 50% for it to continue, which is what they've got, you know? Yeah, total waste of money. I'm driving down the streets here in LA. It's like a third world country. All the, the you know, there's all kinds of like holes and like it's just terrible driving. But we're spending tons, billions of dollars in Ukraine. It's totally insane. And well, if, if in one, yeah, sorry. yeah, Skid Row. It's a total joke. It's so insane. But that's yeah. the world. That's the world. That is the world. That the West is definitely this is especially America is just going under. I mean, I see it all the yeah, time. Yeah. Absolutely. Here too in Hawaii, a lot of people think we're a paradise, but if you look at the city of Honolulu, it's just homeless everywhere and you know, there's nothing being done about it. It's just worse and worse all the time. But yeah, anyway. tons of drugs too, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, lots of drugs. Uh meth, fentanyl, yeah, terrible. Well, we should get on the, the so the Daniel Craig movies are really the <clears throat> the most modern and there's a lot in there actually that I noticed because we're dealing with nowadays where these things are just more out in the open. Um, uh, it, and I, I uh, actually enjoyed some of these movies just for the entertainment value, because I think he was like a better representation of an actual spy agent than say Roger Moore. Or some of these, he's a little bit tougher. And, you know, if there was a real guy like James Bond, but Anyway, um, what the so they re it was like a reboot. They rebooted the series and they got this blonde Bond, which is kind of interesting. But what I noticed very in the very beginning of because this is Casino Royale and this they finally made like a serious movie on it and it opens with Bond becoming a double agent and in order to become a double O agent he has to have two kills. And it makes you wonder yeah. if that is a real requirement somewhere in a secret order somewhere to have two kills. I mean, where are they getting this from? I'd like to read the novel and see what that's all about. Yeah. Interesting, huh? Yeah, no, very interesting. It's kind of like the occult. It reminds me of the Order of Nine Angles. To go open the Order of Nine Angles, you got to get a kill under your belt. Oh. Maybe they got it. Yeah. Oh, yeah, okay. like, a, like it's a seven-step thing, and the third or fourth step is to kill, kill an offer, is what they call it. Yeah, so I, yeah, I wouldn't crazy. be surprised if he, they're pulling from something real there. It just seemed... It just struck me as that. Yeah, no, I wouldn't be saying the gangs and stuff like that. Like some of these gangs, you have to kill somebody to be legit, you know? Right. It's kind of like what they do. Yep. And then Bond gets uh, chipped in this one. So that was one thing that's like, he actually gets a chip in the arm because he's kind of um, disobedient and sort of reckless as a, as a new agent. So they bring him over and they put a little gun to his um, forearm and they chip him an RFID chip. And it's just like desensitizing that that's okay, you know, and right. he, he doesn't even care that he gets chipped. He just still follows the orders and he's still just, you know, dedicated to M and serving the queen. You know, it, it doesn't matter. And it, yeah. Um, I found that pretty interesting too. That is interesting. You know, they're just, Acclimating people to it, making it normalizing it, right? Yeah. Yeah. And the bad guy is Le Chiffre, which you said earlier is supposed to be Crowley in the novel. Yeah. Another another Crowley reference. There's no doubt about it. 
No doubt about it. So there, how many? So there were Daniel Craig is actually a lot. They haven't put out that many movies. It's Daniel Craig's first was 2006, final two, 2021. Yeah. But they were still huge grocers. I mean, these were five movies, five yeah. movies he made. And I think there was a big gap in there. And, you know, again, it makes you wonder what goes on behind the scenes. There's so much like he said in, in an article somewhere before his last one that he'd rather slash his wrists with a dull piece of glass than play 007 again. And then they brought him back in. It's like, it makes you wonder, you know, what, what is going on behind the scenes of this stuff? It's like, I mean, here he is making all the money in the world, playing a, a I mean, a, a role that would probably be fun to play if you were an actor, you'd think. But I don't know. Sometimes they make those public statements so people pay him more money to get back involved in the next one. <laughs> right. like, I'll never do it again. Yeah. No way. Oh, it's like the boxers doing that same thing. I've retired. I'm not yeah. going back to, you know, it's kind of like their game, but. Yeah, he's yeah. done well for himself. I don't, I don't remember him from, from anything other than B rolls before he got Bond in 2006. Right. Yeah, he, that's his big breakthrough right there. Yep. And so he, this is where Spectre comes back into the whole theme of things. And um, what's interesting is it shows in the Casino Royale movie that the bad guy Le Schieffer is just kind of working for this bigger organization. And it kind of shows that he has uppers behind him and he's just more of an asset for these bigger, uh, this bigger group. And they don't tell you who the group is straight up, straight up. You still, it's like this mysterious thing you slowly figure out. And, um, but eventually this organization comes out as Spectre, but um, I feel like they did a pretty lousy version of connecting all the films to the secret organization. If you actually watch it, but uh then we get um, it. Then we get uh, Quantum of Solace, and this one got really bad ratings. Like people hated it and stuff. Um, but I found so much in this movie that is symbolic of what's happening today. There's a lot of things in there. You just kind of have to pay attention. Um, there's this this group they which they call themselves Quantum at the time because I think it's when before they won the rights over to Spectre. They were still like battling behind the scenes trying to get this name out. But what happens is this group meets at an opera and they talk in um, in headsets to each other. And and meanwhile, there's a stage play going on. You have to kind of watch it slow because the problem with this movie is they're trying to copy Jason Bourne movies. They're doing all this fast style editing. So you can't really see what's going on. But there's a total ritual going on on stage. Oh, wow. Yeah, there's a snake. So there's a big all-seeing eye on this stage that they're watching at the opera. And it's like a ritual. The snake has an eye, or the eyelet of the eye is a snake. And they're executing prisoners in this, like, play uh, in the background. And then the, the Pope and the bishops are in the background. And, you know, this is all done intertwining Bond, you know, like, shooting real guys in life but like real bad guys behind the scenes while he's trying to escape this place and they actually do a ritual murder with this with the singer the singer ritually murders a woman is what it is and uh then at the very end of this scene it's all choppy it's you, you have to really slow it down but he he throws somebody bond throws somebody off of the roof and you'll see these numbers on a building and it's 299-792-548-M slash S. And what that is, is the speed of light. So there's some kind of symbolic 
something going on there. And he throws this guy off of, of, of a building and he's falling at the speed of light. And you can kind of look at that as a biblical reference that, you know, like uh, Satan lightning from heaven, uh, Lucifer right. falling at the speed of light. So that's kind of kind of what I gather with that. But it's just it's it's a really crazy scene that you could easily dismiss. But I remember even the first time I saw it, I was like, whoa, what, what's going on here? It's I it's like, wow, this is a lot going on here. So it all happens just like basically in like I'm gonna say like like uh, three minutes of the whole movie. Right. Here's the kind of sequence I see at the eyes and the ritual and the people chanting or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Um, there you go. So that yeah. is you're saying that she's ritually killed at some point in there. I think so. The singer. Yeah. There. Is, yeah. There she yeah. is. See, it's so fast. It's hard to get. Yeah. There he is. Yeah. Oh yeah. Wow. And then here we go. He's gonna throw the him off the roof. Yeah, I'm oh. doing this oh. one. Sorry. No, it's all right. No, but yeah, no, it's uh interesting. It is at least. That same movie has a whole plot by this Mr. Green guy, and he has a foundation called Green Planet. And what he's really doing is he's buying up land and water rights in Latin American countries, and he's controlling their resources. And that's exactly what the elites do, like like in the book, The uh, Confessions of an Economic Hitman. And, you know, these countries are suffering from drought, and it's being blamed on global warming. So, but really, it's this green character who's part of this bigger organization, which later becomes Spectre, that's hiding all the water from these people. So... I, I found that one to be one of the biggest exposés of things happening in real life today, basically showing that global warming is a scam, too. Oh, global warming is a total scam. Yeah. It's a complete scam. It's a total joke. Yep. Oh, man. Yeah, so they're signaling a lot of stuff. So They uh, are. Yeah. So how can we wrap this up? I'm at an hour and 10 minutes. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. This does go. Well, basically. There's two more. Yeah. There is. There's Skyfall. Not a lot in there, like you know. There's there's a group. They're trying to tell you that there's no group in the shadows, and really there is. And then you get into Spectre. Um, that one is showing you basically the round table group controlling things from behind the scenes. They plan bombings, planning everything that comes on the news. And if you watch the movie for that reason, it makes so much sense. Um, he also Bond actually gets injected with smart blood in this movie, which is oh, looks just like graphene oxide. If you look at it, you know there's just so much. Um, even in the beginning of that movie, you have if you watch the beginning, the torch of Columbia. Uh, you go through the eye of the MGM lion, the left eye, and it's just all right there in the beginning of that movie. Um, and then the last one, we have No Time to Die, which it has a virus that kills off certain program people by using their DNA. It's a, it's a, it's a programmable DNA targeting nanobot bot weapon. Wow. It's just right there. Wow. It's like, wow. And guess the, the villain's name is Lucifer Safin. That's his name. So wow. Lucifer, right? Yeah. Wow, so crazy. yeah, it's, it's um quite, it's quite a lot in these movies. And I'm sure if, you know, it take a, it's a long undertaking. If you were to watch them all, you find a whole lot more. You know, I I didn't watch them all recently. I have a box set that 
I got for Christmas years ago, but there is so much in these movies and it's just in plain sight, like everything is. So, yeah. Right. You have to just kind of put it together. Like what are they, what are they signaling? Where are they getting their information? Uh, but yeah, the, the whole like blood tainting of the blood with the bioweapon or nanoparticles is just right out of the present, man. Yeah. It's just totally crazy. Um, but yeah, the stuff's there. And I mean, I think that, like I said, I got to go back and read the books. I got to set some time aside just to go through them. I don't think they're very heavy reading, but no. he probably puts a lot of knowledge into that. But there's so much with him, like his past is much more colorful than people know. A lot of people think of Fleming, or like I used to think of Fleming, as just an author, but he has a huge backstory, fighting the war, fighting the Nazis. A lot of the sequences are from his experiences with the Nazis, all his card playing sequences are his personal experiences. Like he was in Portugal at some club, like playing poker with a Nazi. And so that's what, that's what in, integrate gets integrated in all these bond sequences. These gambling sequences are his real life experiences, but that's just one example. But uh, yeah, he was a real, he's like a known uh, Intel agent. Like absolutely. And like we were saying, the occult and intelligence, all this, it, it, it flows into each other. It's There's not necessarily a separation. Yeah, so true. Loomis, where can people find your uh, material? Where can they find your podcast, and how can they reach out to you? Uh, yeah, um, Chan It Down is on all podcast platforms. Um, you can find me on Instagram, Chan It Down, Telegram, Chan It Down. Uh, I have a YouTube channel that I labeled Truth-Filled Trajectory. It was a show I was going to start driving around and showing, talking about things. I never really got much of that done but uh, someday again and uh, thank you William for having me on it's been a pleasure to, to work with you and uh, we'll do it again yeah soon sooner than later thanks so much yeah. for your time again it's Loomis name is spelled L-U-E-M-A-S yeah. chant it down radio and we talked about occultism and, and themes and James Bond and Ian Thorne. thanks so much for your time yeah thank you, right, thank you. stay there stay there